sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Talking about all kinds of things on the show this morning. Good morning. Glad you were here in the 8 o'clock hour on a beautiful Saturday for Green and Growing. And, of course, followed by the Home Fix-It show and Dave Baker coming up from 9 to noon today right here on 95.5 WSB. Was with you uh, not the entire week last week. Came back from vacation, I believe, on Wednesday and covered morning traffic during Atlanta's morning news and triple team traffic uh, Wednesday through Friday as I kind of eased back in and been working very, very busily on the WSB Radio Carathon, that benefiting the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. That's coming up at the end of the month, and that is one of all of us as hosts on the station and personalities, one of our favorite times of the year, always the last Thursday and Friday of July, the WSB Radio Carathon, where we bring you the really moving, emotional, powerful strengthening stories of these patients, these children battling childhood cancers and blood disorders and their amazing families right here in the Atlanta community. And even we meet the families from other states. They came from all over the country to get the best pediatric care at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. So I will continue to work on that with my colleagues and we'll bring you that at the end of the month. 404-872-0750. So I want to say good morning to a few of the new folks waking up on Facebook. Jane, liking some of the posts I made recently. Good morning to Lynn and Shamil, I believe, listening as well. And sent a beautiful picture um, in his landscape of coleus and vinca planted together in a bed. And they look beautiful. The different color coleus. You don't even get flowers. It's just the leaves that have so many different colors, but coleus gets bushy, guys. It likes the heat, and it gets really, really big. So make sure if you're planting new coleus plants that you space them apart. Uh, They will continue to get bushier the more you remove the flower stalks from them. They're not really meant to flower, so you remove those stalks, no big deal, and they will continue to put out more leaves and get even bigger. And vinca, when I have things in my pots that I keep like dwarf boxwoods in, you know, I keep these plants, these shrubs like on either side of the front door, but then have a lot more room in the pot. So, of course, changing the color and the annuals uh, with the seasons, planting pansies in the fall and the winter, and then maybe moving to petunias in the spring. And now I've planted vinca, and he's got a, a great picture of some vinca as well. Vinca, I, it's not really a ground cover, but it is an annual flower that's going to spread and drape and crawl almost like a ground cover. It's going to fill in a pretty large area of a garden bed if you let it. So vinca is a really good idea if you didn't want petunias or something like that. Uh, Vinca's great. Gosh, there's so many good annuals right now that are just absolutely beautiful. Portulaca. Um, trying to think of the other name for it. Purslane, Portulaca, that's a good one too that's going to fill in and take over an entire area. And another little bedding flower that uh, I think is kind of undersold, kind of like a pansy, but the petals are more jagged uh, than a pansy, but it loves the summer heat, is Dianthus. And Dianthus is a good little bedding flower that's perennial. So you put that in a bed, let it fill up the space in a garden bed, and it will come back. It comes back every year. It's perennial. It'll die back, and it looks like it's completely dead. The stems and the leaves get hollowed out and turn brown, almost straw-like, and that's okay. Uh, they'll they'll go away for the winter time and then come back in the summer beds, and they've got a lot of color as well. 404-872-0750. All right. Up next is Brad, colleague from Hickory Flat. Good morning, Brad. Welcome to the show. 
Good morning. I love your show, and I've loved listening to you on the traffic reports for years. <laughs> Thank you. A lot more traffic <laughs> but, in uh, Hickory Flat now than there ever was. I went to high school out there, and when East Cherokee and 140 was just a very simple, small little intersection, oh, my gosh, the construction they're doing now. Oh, wow. Yeah, now there's even a Chick-fil-A up that I way. Know. <laughs> we, we were amazed when we got a Waffle House and a Burger King. That was it. And now all you have every fast food restaurant in Hickory Flat. That's right. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I had a question about um, my my dad has had these banana trees for years, and now they're mine. Good. And they're um, some of them are like six feet tall. And so every year my dad would bring them into the basement, and I would, you know, in the later years I would help him do that. But I was wondering, could I just leave those in the yard, and um, would they or would the frost kill them completely? It's a gamble um, with banana trees, with elephant ears, with uh, cal- or canna lilies, the big, tall, darker-leafed canna lilies. Um, all of that is a gamble. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm in the same area as you, Brad, and we've had such mild winters that all of that stuff has survived for me. And I'm very conscious of when I cut the elephant ears back and the canna lilies back and even cutting the banana trees. I mean, you can cut that stalk down to maybe just 12 inches high. Um, always yep. really important to use a lot of leaves or pine straw or whatever you can and really mound it over the things that are staying in the ground and even using like, you know, the five gallon bucket or whatever turned upside down over the stalk yep. of the banana tree. But of course, the one year I give advice, oh, Brad, it's going to be fine. Winters have been mild. <laughs> We're probably going to get like down into the negative teens, you know, who knows. So just to be safe, um, you know, and, and over the years, I have ta- talked to a lot of friends who did. They helped their parents do the same thing, dragging the whole plant out of the ground <laughs> in the fall, storing it up under the deck or something like that. What may be easier, see if those mom plants survive by cutting that stalk down and protecting it uh, with the, you know, layers of mulch and a bucket. But also in the fall, looking at the daughter plants that sprout right next to the base and maybe gently digging those up and starting them in their own pots and keeping those in a really sunny spot, whether it's the window in the garage or, you know, a sunroom or something like that. And then just going with those and planting those when the weather warms up. But I think if the, the mom banana tree is so established and that's one you want to try to keep, it's definitely worth trying to protect it. And when it's going to be really windy and bitter cold, um, tying, like yes. if you don't choose to cut the stalk back, tying all the leaves together, bundling it up as much as you can. And then, it, you know, being just like with anything else, going out there with a sheet, covering it all the way down to the ground and doing the best things you can do to protect it. But when we cover banana trees or anything, you know, if you're trying to protect a camellia or anything that you think is going to be super sensitive to the winter cold, when you're going to go to all the trouble to go out there with a plastic cloth or a sheet or something like that, it doesn't do any good unless it's all the way down at the ground and you can weight it down around the base uh, with you know bricks or rocks or something like that. But I think you'll I think you'll be fine. I think that they'll you know. But just to be safe as an insurance policy, I would take yep. the time to remove the little pups, the daughter plants, and maybe repot them, and you know that way you're guaranteed to have at least something in case it does get really cold. Perfect. Well, I'll I'll try that and I'll let you know how it goes. Do. Yeah, because I myself do not have banana trees and I love the look and I'm seeing more and more. I'm seeing more and more of those in landscapes all throughout Metro Atlanta, windmill palms, all kinds of things that I think in years past were just really discouraged from us putting in our landscapes. 
Um, and it is. It's just, I mean, the winters have been a lot more mild to where we can really enjoy those things. So, yeah, embrace it. Go with it. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to talk to you, Brad. Thank you very much for the call. Goodbye. All right. 404-872-0750. And Diane from Ackworth called because I was talking about... Um, Oh, no, she wasn't calling about me talking about the grubs because grubs become Japanese beetles. And then you've got beetles on your plants and the grubs destroy your lawn before they become beetles in the spring. But no, when uh, someone called about marigolds, what was eating the marigolds, Jim was like, ah. And I thought maybe it was rabbits just eating off the entire uh, flower and everything, some of the leaves. But she said it could be slugs. Um, And slug damage is going to be a little bit more slow. So you're going to see that if you go out and look at the marigolds every day versus rabbits just going to come along at night and chomp off the whole thing. Um, but it could be slugs as well on the marigolds. Diane could be right. So what she's done is left out an aluminum pie pan with beer and they swarm to it and it kills them because, yep, they get drunk off of the beer. And that's funny. I was telling Anne in the break that I have done that with my hostas. Slugs love hostas, too. Um, and the, the leaves are so wide and so big for them to feed on. So, yeah, you put a, a pie pan underneath hostas, marigolds, I suppose. Just pour a little bit of the cheapest, grossest beer that you can find that you don't want to drink. And I guarantee you the slugs will. And just after one overnight, you'll see that the slugs end up in that beer. And I don't know if they die from drowning in it or if they die from drinking too much of it. But either way, that <laughs> that is a good fix for slugs. So thank you, Diane. Appreciate that. 404-872-0750. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. And Hugh calling about Arborvitae, if they're yellowing what to do. All of that next on WSB. Yeah, we're back. And the complete weather forecast is going to come up in about 10 minutes for you here on 95.5 WSB. But just a quick look at the weekend, sponsored by Finley Roofing and brought to you by Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz. Partly cloudy skies today and tomorrow. Highs around 90 and scattered thunderstorms roll in for Monday. Green and growing growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. DeMarco says, this is my favorite part of the show. you got to do the top three list. So here it is. If you do nothing else in the landscape this weekend, number one, be on the lookout for chinch bugs in St. Augustine. You don't have St. Augustine grass, you're not as worried about chinch bugs. But you're going to see these almost BB-sized black insects, maybe even a little bit bigger, with almost a gray or silver kind of shield on their back. And they are eating the thatch of the St. Augustine grass. Then it just starts to dye in yellow and brown patches. And so if you're not sure if you have them, uh, first find that out before you just go crazy with a pesticide in your grass. But uh, hollow out like a PVC pipe or a, a coffee can with the top and the bottom open. Push that down into the soil about two inches. Fill it with water. And if you have cinch bugs right in that little spot, they're going to float to the top. And then maybe... Um, uh, insecticidal, they've really developed a insecticidal resistance. That's been problematic with chinch bugs. Rotating chemical controls of them and getting to them early is probably best. Any insecticide that has a pyrethroid, that's where you're going to want to start. All right, number two, plant turf grass from sod or even seed. Be prepared when you're doing sod, folks. Don't do, have that put down right as you're going on vacation or you're not going to be around or not able to water it. That really is very important to water deeply until that new sod establishes its roots. And all of those warm season grasses you could be sodding right now. And number three, harvest garlic when it's in the several stages of the stems, you know, start to brown from the soil up. So when the lower leaves are brown, but the top maybe five or six are still green, it means your garlic is about ready. June, July is about time. 
And depending on the weather, it could even happen earlier. Early bouts of sustained spring heat can push the garlic a little ahead of schedule. I think everything was pretty on target uh, this spring, though. Don't pull it out from the stem or the stalk. Make sure to loosen the rows along the garlic with your fingers, and a spading fork can be able to pull that out and let it dry. Garlic stores best when cured with its leaves on. And you're thinking, well, I want to I want to plant garlic. It's pretty easy. One clove from something at the grocery store, let it sit in a dark pantry or whatever for a little while, and be prepared to plant that like late September, October, and it's going to be a while. So you need the real estate freed up in your garden because if you plant that in October, you're not harvesting it till June. Onions are going to take a long time to 404-872-0750. Randy and Smyrna up next. Hey there, Randy. Good morning. Hey, I've got a, a pecan tree next to my driveway, and every year pecans fall off before they even uh, get ready to eat. Yeah, before they're and ripe. I, and I had talked to the extension agency with, with Kyle County, and she looked it up, but she couldn't figure it out herself because you know, she wasn't much had not a lot of knowledge on the, the pecan trees, but she looked it up and she she couldn't figure it out. I don't know if it's something lacking in the soil. Do you have more I than got, one? Well, my neighbors behind me, they've got two or three big ones. Okay, that's I mean, good because different cultivars in the same area are really going to be beneficial to one another. So if you've got a number of them, there are some nearby they're pollinated by the wind, and there's a couple of different things that could be going on. Um, failure of the nut to just fully produce in size and grow the way it needs to could be caused by insect and disease damage, but a lot of that would be noticeable on the leaves. Uh, loss of pollination, or lack of pollination, rather, is probably one of the key things, since they are pollinated by the wind. Again, when we had really excessive, dry, hot conditions in June, pollen just was not being moved. It was dry. It was hot. Everything was stagnant. So that could be something, just weather conditions not allowing for the transfer of pollen, in which case, Randy, there was nothing you could have done any different because I know that those get so tall, you cannot do anything to help the pollination cause. Um, And also drought, which could have, you know, it came right along with that really sustained hot weather that we had back in June drought and oftentimes too little fertilizer as well. They are heavy feeders, so 10-10-10 and regular fertilization of those large pecan trees. Um, Too little fertilizer will cause early drop of nuts. So a lot of that could be what you're seeing. And if they drop to the ground and they're green, unfortunately, they're not going to ripen. The process is done. They're over. So of course, yeah, you want to be able to keep as many on the tree as you can. Those are just a few things to think about. Insect and disease, making the nut not get as full as it needs to be. The drought, poor pollination, in which case, like I said, Randy, there wasn't a whole lot you could do about that. So better luck next year. Keep an eye on the ones you've got and harvest them as soon as you see them ready. 404-872-0750. We'll be back on Green and Growing. So do you follow the website or follow me on Facebook? Good ideas to do both. WSBradio.com slash green and growing brings you to the website. And if you search Facebook or even follow me on Twitter, but search Facebook for green and growing, you can like and follow the page there um, on the website on WSBradio.com slash green and growing kind of near the bottom of the page. 
I have the Green and Growing events, classes and garden opportunities, ways to get involved. There is a free class at Pike Nursery today, as a matter of fact, in just a little bit. Summer lawn and garden care class. You do need to go on pikenursery.com and register for that. Make sure they still have openings at the location near you. And my friend Clint Waltz listening right now. Good morning, Clint, from Griffin, the UGA Turf Grass Research Field Day. That's down at the University of Georgia Griffin campus. That's coming up Wednesday, August 3rd. That's just a fun day for the family. It's not all scientific, but a lot of it is. So you could participate in the UGA Turf Grass Research Field Day. And Clint's quite happy that we're talking about turf grass. And uh, in my top three things to do, talking about, you know, now's the time to put down sod for warm season grasses and look out for chinch bugs. And I'm surprised I haven't gotten calls about army worms, but they can be pretty voracious with lawns as well. So just some things to keep in mind when you're babying your grasses. And I know fescue's looking a little tough right now. It's it's, a, it's struggling because it's been so hot and so dry. So just keep up with strengthening those lawns as much as you can. Proper water, proper fertilization and feeding and all of that. And uh, speaking of, we will very well be talking about some issues in the lawn. Diseases, of course, come on with the warmer weather and with the moisture and humidity as well. So with me, I've got Jackson Grimsley, who's the assistant manager of the Lindbergh location of Pike Nursery. Hey, good morning. Morning, Ashley. So, yeah, I spent some of the morning talking about things that are going to be affecting our lawns and our grasses, all kinds of insects and things. But you're going to be talking about some of the diseases, right? Disease control, whether it's for things we're finding in our lawn or things that we're finding on our plants right now. Like I mentioned, the high heat and humidity brings on fungus. And and fungus is the, the reason for a lot of the ugly spots and things we see, maybe some dying, you know, dieback symptoms uh, in some of our plants. So what can you tell us about getting in control of some of these things, Jackson? Absolutely. So, you know, like you mentioned, this is your high time for disease and fungi. They love hot and humid environments. Um, so, you know, everyone I think has, has gone outside to look at their hydrangeas or their roses and seen some little spots or something on there that just don't look too good. And you definitely want to get out in front of it. So, uh, most common you're going to see would be brown spot, um, and that's just you see these little brown dots on the leaf um, that affects all kinds of plants, but definitely a lot of your deciduous plants like, like I said, roses and hydrangeas. There's a lot of different options um, with how to treat that. So you, there are different fungicides. Uh, there's a product called Infuse by Bonide mm-hmm. that's one of my favorites uh, because it is a systemic uh, fungicide. So it's not only a treatment, but it is a preventative as well. So it's great for ornamentals. Um, I use it on my, my hydrangeas about once a month. Um, but it comes in a hose end attachment, which again, makes it really easy to apply. If you have like an entire bed of roses, um, it makes it very, very easy to apply. Um, it also does come in a concentrate, uh, for smaller applications and in a, in a granule form as well. Um, Another thing you can do to help with fungus control on your ornamental shrubs is make sure that you're you're keeping up with your trimming and that your spacing is good because if they get good air circulation, that helps keep the fungus fungi down as well. Um, so those those methods do apply to some other you know kinds of fungus. Powdery mildew is another one you'll see that kind of white, just powdery substance you'll see on the leaves um, that affects ornamentals, but you see it a lot on vegetables this time of year. Um, again, for you know any edibles, you do want to use an organic fungicide because you want to make sure it's safe, you know, to eat. Uh, copper fungicide, copper-based fungicides are a great option for edibles. Also, neem oil um, is a effective organic insecticide and fungicide. So, 
again, great to use this time of year. Um, and again, spacing is extremely important. So you get that good air circulation. Very, very important. Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys are the plant experts and you really stress that the onset of initially buying the plant, deciding where you're going to put it, you know, first things to consider are making sure it gets the right amount of sunlight and the adequate adequate moisture and things where it's being planted. But spacing is so important too. And I think you guys do a good job in addition to the plant label telling you, hey, this plant's probably going to get, you know, 12 to 18 inches wide. You guys let folks know too. Right now in the nursery, it's in a small four-inch pot. But when you go to plant it, spacing is so important to ward off disease. So yeah, getting to the point where you're planting things properly, right, right plant, right place, you know, and preventing the diseases before they ever even become an issue. And when you're, when you're talking about a product like Bonide Infused, Jackson, which is really, really good, and meaning that it's systemic, tell folks how that works. Like once you apply it at the base, when it's systemic, how is that working? Absolutely. So like you mentioned, you do apply them at the base of the plant. You can get the product on the, on the foliage, but it's not really going to do anything. It has to take it up through the roots. Um, and it, it works just like, you know, we... Uh, you know, if we take a vaccine inoculating someone for a disease or something, it's going to get it through the plant system and help create a barrier um, to any any sort of fungi or diseases. So it's it's exact works the exact same way. You want to get it around the base of the plant. Um, if you're spraying or if you're putting down a granular product, you put it around the base of the plant and you're going to water it in. Um, and it just helps it helps it take it up. Um, again, that product is the best to use. I know you were talking about. Uh, lawn diseases are really big this time of year. Um, so there's a lot of different ones you could see. Um, there's dollar spot, mm-hmm. uh, which is a real common one you see is kind of silvery, you know, it, and it's like, it'll be brown, brownish dead spots, but like silver dollar spots. That's uh, a common fungus. Um, you'll see brown patches, larger pieces, uh, you know, they can be, and they'll still be circular, but larger dead patches. Um, those are probably the two most common you see, but infuse is a great, great way to handle those um and again it comes in that granular uh, form which is great for lawns because you can just put it in your spreader like you would with a fertilizer or something and um just you know treat the whole lawn and again it lasts for about you know four to five weeks so it's a great preventative method and it cuts down on the amount of you know spraying of other stuff that you have to put out yeah that's perfect mention of the lawn diseases too like you said brown patch is the name of the disease and it's exactly what it describes but again good management practices like jackson was talking about with spacing and plants lawns are no different right mowing your lawn and knowing what grass you have mowing it at the right height mowing it regularly and also when you're having to water those grasses when we're in between rains and you're going out there with the sprinkler and stuff, doing it in the earliest part of the day. That way it has time to dry out. You know, you're not putting the grass to bed, so to speak, staying damp and wet because that can introduce a lot of disease too. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want, you know, any kind of watering that you do for any, really any plant, but particularly lawns and ornamentals, you want to make sure you're doing in the morning. Cause like you said, if they sit wet overnight, uh, with those, you know, still warm but humid temperatures, the water stays on there all night. It's not getting, you know, evaporated. That's a really, really easy way to have a fungus outbreak. Yeah. So you've mentioned leaf spot. You've mentioned powdery mildew, which is good. Some of those lawn diseases that we're seeing. Um, and black spot on roses. Do you have a lot of folks bring in the leaves on their rose bushes and show you the leaf and like, why are these black, literal black spots on my rose leaves? Absolutely. You know, again, roses, um, you know, are a plant that requires you know, a, a good bit of care, um, and they definitely uh, do get some fungi and black spot is the most common. 
Um, so there's, again, this is one that you want to prevent with a systemic product because uh, it is really, really difficult to treat once it's on there. Um, and again, I recommend just treating your ornamentals, particularly roses, uh, as, a, as a preventative with a, a systemic fungicide. Um, now, luckily with roses there, Bonide does manufacture a product called Rose Shield mm. that is, um, it is, uh, kind of does double duty as a um, insecticide and fungicide. So you do get a multi-purpose product there that is very effective as both. Um, so that way it does, you know, cut down on the number of products that you have to buy. Um, but yeah, roses definitely are one you want to keep an eye on with the, with our heat and humidity here. They are very susceptible to fungi. So you want to make sure to use a systemic fungicide and just, uh, you make sure you're, you're giving them a, a, a chance to be successful. And it's so easy for fungus to spread too. You just think about the spores that could travel through the air into other parts of the plant or plant nearby. So black spot, especially on these roses too, you need to make sure that if some of those leaves drop, you rake away or hand pick the leaves off of the top of the soil and remove them from the environment. That way you're just making sure to remove the spores and you're not keeping the process just continuous and in reinfecting the, the rose bush. So whenever you see these diseased leaves, best to remove them from the scene. And also a common one too that we'll cover last, Jackson, in the garden, a lot of folks see that blossom end rot. And a lot of times it happens with the first one or two tomatoes or first one or two squash. And then you can start to push out a little more of a healthier crop and yield on these vegetable plants. But those first few that come on a lot of times, literally the the blossom end, the bottom end of these fruits and vegetables is rotted. Absolutely. Uh, it's really common with the with the heat and humidity and the, and the amount of rain that we get here. Um, and so, yeah, most people do think it is a disease, but it isn't. It's actually a calcium deficiency. Uh, you know, plants need calcium just like we do. Um, so there's a product called Rot Stop that is basically just liquid calcium. Um, you want to spray that um, onto the plant and that will help stop those the blossom in from rotting um, it's definitely a must-have if, if you're growing tomatoes or squash or peppers um, anything like that you always want to make sure that you have that product because uh, it will definitely just it will you know cut down on the amount of uh, on the amount of the crop that you lose um, so that's extremely important um, and what you were talking about with roses just a second ago, one other thing I would add is yeah. you do want to make sure if you have any affected uh, foliage or anything that you're trimming, you do want to make sure that you're cleaning tools uh, in between uh, plants as well. Uh, make sure that you're not, you know, if you're trimming back an affected plant, you don't want to immediately go to an unaffected plant and because you can just risk spreading that disease. Very good point. Very good point. All of these diseases, yeah, just like when we get them and can contract things from other people that's contagious, plants are no different. Well, you get this knowledge at this time every Saturday morning on the show from an expert at Pike Nursery, and you can go in the stores and get the same kind of knowledge from their plant experts for free. And classes, too. Who doesn't like that? I love continuing education. I love that all of the classes you guys offer are free, and there are a couple coming up on the calendar soon. Absolutely. We've got one today at 10 a.m., um, and it's going to be what we're talking about right now, summer lawn and garden care. Uh, you know, absolutely, if you've got any questions or plants that you think might be affected, bring in a, a cutting in a little plastic bag, and we'd love to take a look at them and see if we can help. Um, also, on Saturday, July 30th, we have another really big topic in Atlanta, um, deer-resistant ah. plants. I know people <laughs> all over town have trouble with our uh, woodland friends tearing up the landscape. So. Right. Yeah, we'll have lots of options uh, there to you know give you some really pretty items that also will not 
uh, be bringing in the deer. Yeah, I mean, just we we can't fight Mother Nature, right? So you want to plant the things that they're not as attracted to, and there are literally hundreds of options. So if all of you just continue to do hostas and you keep eating your head against a wall because they're going to keep eating them, Pike Nursery will happily give you at least eight or nine other options for you that would go just as well as a hosta or something else that the deer aren't going to impact. So that's Saturday, July 30th. I love that. I will certainly promote that, Jackson, and you will have full classes at every location, I'm pretty sure, for that topic. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, pikenursery.com to find out more. Jackson Grimsley, thank you so much for joining us from the in-town Pike Nursery this morning. Thanks very much for all of the knowledge and have a great morning. Thanks, Ashley. You too. All right. Thanks. A product for just about everything, guys. Experts in store every day, like Jackson mentioned. It doesn't have to be during a class, but you can bring a clipping or a photo of a stem or a leaf or something that just doesn't quite look right. And the horticulture experts at Pike Nursery help diagnose whatever the issue is, and they will prescribe a solution. We'll be back with a, a, a couple more topics, a yellowing arbor vitae, what's going on for Hugh. And Mike in Dallas uh, has a bug that's boring into his Japanese maple. I know exactly what it is. We'll be back with that on WSB. An update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing today and tomorrow. Partly cloudy skies, highs reaching almost 90 degrees. The full forecast coming up from Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz in just a few minutes. So Hugh from Alpharetta, thank you for hanging on so patiently, but he had to run Arborvitae, a yellowing he thinks due to the heat. So it's very important with those evergreens to keep them consistently watered, not letting them dry out for extended periods of time. And the establishment is most important. If they're a year or two old, that consistent moisture is the most important thing. Um, Yellowing could be due to heat, but it could be a larger problem, could be some kind of blight or something. And also something pretty common in those evergreens right now, whether it's arborvitae or Leland cypress, bagworms. So uh, a lot of times that's very obvious from a distance, but as they're at the beginning stages, maybe not so much. So getting right up to that tree and checking for the beginnings of bagworms, if that's the case, they can defoliate it and make the needles drop. So you'll want to just sweep those out with a large broom or something. But consistent moisture is kind of the easiest answer if you start to see an evergreen yellowing. And really quickly, Mike from Dallas, I think I know what you've got on your jacket. Japanese maple, what are you seeing? Um, basically, it was about a five to six foot maple in a pot outside, and all the leaves withered on it. And then I noticed uh, the little white hairs about a inch long coming yeah. out of the stem, and they just crumble to dust when you Ugh. touch them. And I'm like, can I save it, or is it gone? You know, I, I think the long and short answer, once it's, once it's infected with ambrosia beetle, that is impossible to treat because they've already done the damage and hollowed out some of the inside of the limbs and the trunk. And what you see coming out is those hair-like fibers or toothpicks is the ambrosia beetle kicking out the sawdust. That's why it crumbles as you touch it. Um, some schools of thought for trees, ornamental trees like maples and crepe myrtles, that you could cut the actual tree, the physical trunk, all the way back and hope that water sprouts and new you know, suckers are going to come up and replace that tree. Um, sometimes with other hardwoods, that doesn't happen. So cut back the affected parts, maybe if it's just extreme limbs or something like that, be able to cut those back and hope for the best. But if the whole tree has become infected and you're seeing those toothpick-like things everywhere, Unfortunately, the trees are gone. Or what we might want to do, trees that are susceptible to it, start spraying and start considering that as early as February. And talk to an arborist about what sprays are best to prevent ambrosia beetle in trees like maples and crepe myrtles. Good luck, Mike. Thanks for the call. Thanks to all of you for joining us on a beautiful Saturday. I will be back next Saturday. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe.